What's up, everybody? I'm Devo Brown from Breakfast Television in Canada, and you're listening to Red, White, and Blue Jays. Swing and a drive! Welcome to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the podcast home of Blue Jays Fans UK, a group connecting Blue Jays fans around the UK and beyond and telling their stories. And now, here's the host of Red, White, and Blue Jays, Steve Hunter. Hi, guys. Welcome to another edition of Red, White, and Blue Jays. And I am super excited today because we have none other than Breakfast Television's Devo Brown in the house. Devo, thank you so much, man, for spending a bit of time with us today. I'm excited. This is everybody that's listening. is like, who, who are we talking about? Who is this guy? But... Hey, man, let's get to know each other. I'm excited about this. Oh, do you know, loads of people will know you. I mean, one of the things uh, that for us over here in the UK is the the availability of breakfast television, because obviously a lot of Canadian TV is not available here unless you're paying, you know, for subscriptions on MLB TV and what have you. But yeah, to get breakfast television over here, which, of course, is at a perfect time for us. So you guys are rocking up in the morning at whatever early hour. It's mid-morning here. We're loving it. Yeah, that five-hour time difference, depending on the time of year, I guess, for us here, four or five-hour time difference is is definitely helpful for you guys. I have a lot of family in the UK, so um, Hi. Okay. yeah, a lot. I got a lot of love. You know, my grandparents they they were in Coventry before they passed. I got family in Bristol. I got family all over London. So uh, the last time I was out there, you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, was the Raptors championship run 2019? Uh, my cousin got married. And I stayed a couple extra days, but game five, I was still in London and I was flying out the next day. And game five is when the Raptors almost won at home in Toronto and Kyle Lowry missed a shot to win the game. But I went and watched it at some casino, a random, I don't even know what the place was. It's in London. I think it was a casino. They had a sports bar in there and there was a ton of fans. And cause I mean, the time difference, it was like two in the morning. Right. So it was unbelievable to watch uh, with a bunch of the fans in the UK. It was it was what a great experience. And then I flew back, landed for a few hours and went straight to Oakland to cover the game six and watch the Raptors win the championship there and got to celebrate with them in, in the locker room and everything. So that was cool. That's not a bad job, is it? That's not it, a bad job as they go. Yeah, you can't complain of that. I don't no, I think- you can't. Yes, you're going. You go ahead. I was just gonna say you can't get mad at it when you know uh, Chris Boucher and, and Norm Power spraying champagne in your face to celebrate a championship win. It was all right. <laughs> it was cool, man. It was a lot of fun. Did you have the goggles? No, I, I got in into the locker room a little bit later. Everybody else, so no goggles for me. And I was like, "Come on, guys!" Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, it took Boucher like six minutes to open up the bottle. I was like, "Dude, yeah. this is what's going on here." Yeah. <laughs> and I guess I guess you in terms of you're watching the basketball here, I would imagine mm-hmm. probably basketball is a bigger sport in the UK generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much more transferable in terms of being able to play. Obviously, ballparks are uniquely different from anything that we normally have here. So your fact that you had a whole load of, you know, fans at that hour. Yeah. It was super interesting. They had like a Facebook group or whatever, I guess. And I just randomly yeah. I just called around to every place that I thought I could possibly watch the game and i went and showed up by myself and 
there were a few people who knew who I was. They're like, Hey, yeah, we know you from Canada and this and that. So that was really cool. It was a nice, it was a nice camaraderie, kind of like what you have going on here, right? Everybody wants to support the team and you have this nice community that's come together for it. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now you win the prize, of course, also for the best backdrop to a zoom call that I have done thus far. So that is very cool. So are you, where are you? Are you at the BT studios or is this uh, your front living room? This is, yeah, I call it uh, Studio B when I do a radio show. My friend's got Studio A where he DJs out of. This is Studio B. It's literally my living room. The TV's here. The couch is here. This is the back wall. That's the awesome. front door is right there. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. And so is that your design on the wall or is that uh, something it's, I kind of had a bit of a vision, but there's a graffiti artist guy named Slee Stack, who's a Canadian dude. And and he kind of, I said, go wild with it. I go, I want the tower. These are the colors. What do you got? And and he kind of came up with these, these great designs. So he wants to refresh it because of all these Zoom calls we've done over the past couple uh, of years. He's like, <laughs> I need to do something new for you, man. So we're trying to make that happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, so is this a pandemic uh, project? Was it in terms of no, having to? No, this happened whew, probably early 2019 um if not late 2018 uh once i moved into this place i wanted it done right away so it's a it's, yeah. it's a bigger wall that's come across and yeah this had nothing to do with the pandemic this was way before that it's wanted something wow. kind of that reflected my personality a little bit and and, and personality of the city as well in the country yeah. so very nice too right so just give us a little bit of flavor what's it like working on bt then you've got a great bunch of guys around you uh looks like a lot of fun most mornings, you know, when I'm sort of able to tune in when I can, mm-hmm. you know, there's always so, some sort of shenanigans going on in the studio. <laughs> Abby, what is that like? I mean, just your day-to-day life going into to BT. It's funny because, you know, I kind of got into this world wanting to make people smile and laugh and all that. And I started off in radio and, and that's what it's always been about. But I also did it because I wanted something different every day. You know, I'm, I'm not the, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with, with it if you are, but I'm not the sitting in an office nine to five, kind of do a similar job or, or a factor. Like I've done certain things like that and it wasn't for me. So I said, you know, I need to find something that keeps me um, going and stimulated and creative and things like that. And this show does that, man. So, I mean, the worst part of the job is waking up early. Like we have a 4.45 a.m. meeting every day. But that's where we kind of hash things out about what we're going to do, what what the topics of the day are, you know, breaking news is happening so we can all kind of communicate and what we need to do to, to provide um, the best show possible. So, yeah, it, it kind of sucks to get up early, but um, I wouldn't say you get used to it. You just adjust. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So, again, honestly, doing this show is a lot of fun. You never know what you're going to get in the sense of. We have, yeah, we have our plan of what we're doing, but then we all have the freedom to just be us, which is something that's really unique on a show like that. It's an ensemble cast, you know, um, everybody gets fair share to have their voice heard and you have the freedom to just be who you are and have fun, um, you know, and, and go out there and enjoy yourself. And, and we kind of, you know, I always refer things back to sports and things like that. So I got great teammates that I get to work with. And, you know, um, you know, one day someone might be the captain and they're the ones who step up that day because of whatever the topics might be. The next day it could be somebody else. Uh, we've got the luxury of such a great squad that that we're able to do that. And uh, it's just a ton of fun, man. It really is. <laughs> like, again, you know, it could be anything. We talked about Elon Musk one day and buying Twitter. 
and then the Raptors win in a big game and Dina's running around in a dinosaur costume. Like what just happened, you know? And that's, that's kind of, that's the normal. That's just another day in the life of when we do it. Yeah. I, I, and it transfers, I think, you know, as you're watching in, in terms of the enjoyment you guys have, and I love the mix of particularly in the summer, you're up out, up on the roof deck and, and you're just uh, doing stuff around the city you know, for, for, for those of us who don't get to Toronto that often, it's great just to see a little bit of outdoor life away from just the studio. So I, I love all that sort of stuff. And uh, yeah, it always brings a smile to my face when I'm watching it. What's, what's it been like uh, knitting Sid into the, uh, into the team uh, and keeping him in check? <laughs> uh, I don't think anyone can keep him in check. Uh, he's going to do, you know, Sid's going to do Sid things. And, and that's why he was brought in, you know? So I think, um, it's, it was obviously a little bit of an adjustment for everybody, especially the time that it happened because we had, you know, I mean, we're still, we were still in a pandemic when we started involving him just over a year ago. And for the year and a bit prior to that, it was kind of this, uh, up in the air, like what was our lineup going to look like? Plus we had only half the people in the studio, uh, just Dina and I were kind of doing a lot more of the heavy lifting than everybody else. So it was a lot of adjustments for everybody um, to kind of, to kind of figure out, but personality wise, man, it's just, it's just another dude coming in who has good experience, has good um, perspectives on things and is a little bit different, a little bit more blunt about the way he wants to get things across Never. than the rest of us. Yeah. Really? Than the rest of us, which is, uh, you know, some people had to get used to it. I kind of laugh at it because I think it's just it's, it's just different for what people were expecting on that show. So and it works. It definitely works. The audience seems to be really enjoying it. So, um, yeah, it was it, it didn't seem like it was, you know, a tough fit or anything like that. Sure. And it's very different, obviously, to what he was doing with Tim in terms of their, their show, uh, which was clearly obviously predominantly about sport. Mm -hmm. coming into much more sort of general news as well uh, and i guess you know for him adjusting must have been uh, you know took a little while as well yeah i think he was ready for a bit of a change um you know i don't want to speak for him but i think he was ready to speak on things other than just sports and and it's pretty clear that he's got you know thoughts and he's got valid opinions on those things and he does his homework on it so um, yeah, it's, it's been, you know, for a lot of people who watched him for 20 plus years on score and sports net and listened to him on radio with Tim, um, you know, it's a bit of a different side to who he is. Uh, but yeah, I think it was, uh, you know, him showing his growth, which I think is, yeah. is, is wonderful. Very good. And uh, just one last thing on, on BT. Mm -hmm. I'm still waiting for the phone call for my, my grand, my grand, you know, it's not, it's not happened yet. When you when you get to stretch it out across well, the uh, across the pond, yeah. When I have to dial o one one four four or whatever I got to do to dial plus, your plus numbers, four, and stuff four, like yeah. That. yeah, yeah, right. Four, four. So I, I don't know if they're going to allow me to do that yet, <laughs> uh, but maybe, maybe, man, I'd love to expand it across, especially across the country because we're only doing it in Ontario. But I'd sure. love to have it across the country and be able to call you up, you know, yes. lunch time for you, and you'll be Absolutely. just having having a pint at the pub and ready to go for a thousand dollars and buy everybody around. You'd be good. Bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> good stuff. Okay. Let's just have a little bit of a rewind then in terms of your career. Uh, what, what, what was life growing up for you? Was it something you, you talked about, you started off from radio. Was it something that you'd always, you know, as a child wanted to get into sort of media type work and, and was that always with a sort of, 
passion towards sport or or was it another sort of you know was it music what what was the the thing that kicked you into the career that you're doing yeah it's a great question and, and you know it's it's funny because a lot of people in this industry that I'm in and I'm fortunate enough to be in and, and had quite a few years in now uh hate my story because I was one of the ones that didn't go to school for this I didn't dream about it when I was a kid I you know when I was a kid I thought I was gonna be a basketball player not realizing that I was only gonna grow to be five foot seven um, and not all of us could be a Muggsy Bogues or, you know, it would be great, but, uh, no, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a teacher. Um, teaching was, was the main thing I was going for. So I went to university, uh, got myself a degree and things like that. Did not get into teacher's college. And as I was going to university to help pay my bills, I started DJing, I had this passion for music and I always had new music before everybody else. So I started just kind of doing parties. Then I started DJing at the, the campus clubs and bars. And then I fell into a radio station where I started volunteering. Now I was working like six, seven jobs at the same time. Cause again, you got to pay bills. So I was working at young offenders jail. I was working at the YMCA. I was coaching basketball. I was working for Pepsi as a merchandiser. So I'd run to grocery stores and be stocking shelves and building big displays. And then at night I would go DJ three nights a week. So, you know, I'm, I'm rocking like 80 hours a week of work, but I wanted to get in towards the music thing. So I finally got into a radio station where they're like, yeah, you could be a part of our street team, you know, go to the events and hand out stickers and chapstick. And I'm like, wait, you want for free? I'm like, I mean, I got time, but I did because I wanted to get into that world. And that's kind of how it started for me. And then I just kept hustling and learning more as I went. And so uh, most of if not all of what I've gotten is kind of self-learn, um, learning from watching others, learning from asking questions and, uh, and gaining advice from others as well. But never was there an educational background of radio, broadcast journalism, multimedia, or anything like that. Everything's been kind of self-taught and just going by experience and, and learning as I've gone along. Yeah. And I guess a lot of that then comes out of what's in here in terms of your passions rather than mm -hmm. it being a classroom experience of this is how you present, this is how you do this. And you do, you know, it's, it's generated from that enthusiasm in your own heart to, to follow after something. So, so how, how long did you sort of spend DJing then in terms of when you first kicked into that world? What, what, what sort of length of time was that? I think, you know, I was doing it throughout university. So the one thing I did make sure of when I started, I was in uh, towards the end of my first year of university when I started actually DJing music and things like that and doing parties. Um, and then I finished all four years because the one thing I need to make sure, one, my parents wouldn't hate me at the end of it. Um, and, you know, I didn't waste the little bit of money that we were, or a lot of money that we had to spend in order for me to do those first couple of years, but also to prove something to myself that I could complete a task, you know, and be like, I'm going to get my degree and complete my task and, and then figure it out from there and learn about all these other things as I went on. So I had life experiences that I really take with me to this day that I learned in university, working at bars, seeing the behind the scenes thing of entertainment and, and concerts and venues and things like that, that really, to this day, I still do a lot of that live hosting that really helped. Um, but then, you know, once I started getting into the radio side of things, that's when the hosting on, on the broadcast side was music based. So top 40 radio for the most part. Um, I did hip hop radio. There's only, um, basically one hip hop radio station in Canada, uh, pretty much ever. And I was a part of that for several years as well. And so, you know, music was really where it was at for me. 
sports was always a passion to play sport, to watch sport, but never to be broadcasted in sport was never really a passion um, before. And then it just became what I was talking about in my daily life anyways. And so when I'd get asked to speak on it, I would just speak about it. And it wasn't forced. It wasn't me having to go do a ton of research. Um, and I'm never going to say I'm not a sports nerd. Like there are guys that will pull out stats. You know, you're going you're gonna to pull out a stat from the Jays. And when they had a playoff run in 85 and, and you know, and they lost Kansas City. Sure. Some of us, some people will know all that stuff. I won't be able to pull out facts like that. But you want to have a conversation about a team or a player or a sport in general, I will be able to have that conversation all day. And it's just natural conversation for me. So it was always that just an interest more than it was, I want to work in this world. You know what I mean? And then it kind of just carried over to me like, yo, Devo, you know about this stuff. Can you just come on and talk about it? I'm like, yeah, sure. What do you guys want to talk about? Let's go. They're like, you're ready to talk about it now? I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so it just became that. Um, basketball was really the forte. Uh, the Jays, I've always been a big fan of. Um, I was born in Halifax. So, okay, you know, New Scotland there, Nova Scotia. Yep. Yeah. So uh, when we moved to Toronto, it was, you know, one of the sport, first sports events I ever got to go to was see the Jays at Exhibition Stadium. And, <laughs> and I fell in love right then. Um, and that was 89 playoffs against Oak. Oakland, I want to say, Oakland or Minnesota, I think it was Oakland, but that's kind of where, you know, I remember uh, one of our close family friends took my brother and I to see a game and I was like, this is cool, man, like these fans and this atmosphere and coming from a small town, I'd never been around that many people uh, at that point in my life. I was like 10 years old or nine years old and it was the coolest thing, man. So um, that's kind of just always been a part of my life playing and, and being involved in sport and talking about it has always been that. And then it kind of just turned into part of my professional life as well. Yeah. So let's just dip into that exhibition stadium experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was I, my first visit to uh, Toronto was in 94. So they'd obviously moved across to the Sky Dome then. Mm -hmm. uh, so I can only look back at photos and, and hear people's stories like yours. What was that place like to watch baseball in? Because certainly looking at the photos, it's a very odd configuration because of its multi-use. What was it like, you know, actually being there in the bleachers watching the game? It felt like, I don't know if you've been to any of the spring training games, um, but it almost felt like that. It was a little more raw. Um, it, yeah, it just, it seemed accessible. And I don't know what ticket prices were then compared to, you know, what a person's salary was. So I don't know, you know what I mean? I, I don't know if it's all kind of gone comparatively as the years have gone on. Yeah. But it just seemed accessible and it felt like everybody in the city, you know, and people are probably coming around from across the country as well. And, and who knows other places to watch, but it just felt like anybody was able to, and was welcome to be a part of this sport to cheer on this team. Um, it was just really cool. I just remember it being loud and it being exciting. And that feeling, you know, you get it in, in the dome, you get it when it's sold out, but it's, you know, you would get it more towards a playoffs kind of matchup. 
but you know, and this was playoffs when I was there, but it just seemed like it was just a different energy. Mm. And, and, and do you think the birth of that ball club at that particular time, obviously the Expos were in, in existence. I was just thinking in terms of geography of from Halifax, you're almost mm-hmm. flying over the top of Montreal to get to Toronto. Uh, was there a big contingent of Expos fans in Toronto that were happy to jump into the Jays bandwagon or w- was they still, no, actually we've always supported the Expos. What was that dynamic like? You know, what's interesting is, and I might've been too young to realize it um, when we first moved out here, but you know, my, my older brother, he's got four years on me. So he was old enough to, he was already into sports and things like that. And we both played, like I played, you know, minor league baseball in Halifax at such a young age, um, played minor league hockey. So we were already doing stuff, but he was, and he still is to this day, a Montreal Canadiens fan for hockey. Whereas I came to this city and I'm like, Oh, Leafs are my guys. Like, let's go. Uh, and I did the same thing with the Jays, but before the Expos disbanded, he was still an Expos guy. And we cheered for Montreal while we were in Halifax. And then when we came, came here, I switched legions. So I was like, Hey, this is my city. This is my home now. Um, but I think there were a split amount at first. Cause I made one of my favorite players was Tim Raines uh, on the Expos, right. Outfielder, the dude was fast. And I wanted to play like him when I was a kid, I, I wanted to hit the ball. I wanted to steal base. I wanted to make great catches in the outfield. So, um, so there was a lot of Expos, uh, love, I would say, from people in this city as well. Mm, yeah. What was your uh, World Series memories? Because uh, that would have been Oof. fairly early into your time in Toronto, then, wouldn't it? Very. Um, I just remember. I remember the Joe Carter um, home run. Were you there, was... or were you? Being no. It? No, I was watching it. I was watching it. I think with friends and family. Um, yeah, I think. Where are we looking at? 90... 93 for Joe 93. Carter. So, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, I was watching it with buddies. Yeah, because we were playing, yeah, and a couple of guys that went like semi-pro basically with ball and, and they were big fans. So we were watching quite a bit. So, yeah, kind of this, it was that. I never got out to any of the games during that run. Um, you know, again, I think at that point, affordability was a little bit different for, for my family sure. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and during that time. And, and even so now, you know, it's, it's tough for a lot of people, um, to go to a ball game. You want to take a family of four, you know, it, 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 you gotta, you gotta plan ahead, uh, and budget for it for sure. So I think that's what it was like for us then, but we watched, we definitely watched and supported and, uh, you know, and I just remember the city being a buzz for those couple of years and, and always, you know, you'd be in, you'd be in the park Guys are throwing the ball and they're yelling like which player they want to be and, and stuff. So it was, it's a lot of fun to see that growth and see that, that energy. And we're getting that energy back again, which is so nice to see. Yeah. Well, I, I remember when I came in 94, you know, the city was still buzzing after the last two years. And yeah. uh, I've said many times before that I, I, my first game was four days before the strike. Of yeah. 94. I was going to say, because that's a lockout season. Yeah. Yeah. Literally just by the skin <laughs> of my teeth, I actually got to see a game and fell in love with the city and fell in love with the game and oh, the team. Um, but even at that point, it was a full house, uh, you know, and all, all the players in terms of the World Series were still pretty much there. And mm-hmm. I just, it just, I just got sucked into this event. And it, and it's very different in the, to watching soccer straight football mm-hmm. as we would call it in terms of it you know football is very much a short sharp game it's all action non-stop 45 minutes a half game's over 
Whereas yeah. baseball's much more about the experience of going. You literally don't have to watch every pitch. You know, it's having a beer with your mates. It's you know, it, it's the family atmosphere. It's all those things, and I, that's mm-hmm. what that I I fell in love with, and I, I could see that certainly feel that in the ballpark on the on the day of my first game. I think if I'd come, you know, in one of the quieter years, I might have had a slightly different experience, but. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, I think, yeah, if you, you know, one of a couple of those down seasons, your experience would be definitely different. The energy would be different, right? You'd be in, in a quarter to half full stadium. Um, I think you would still, you had a great time, but yeah, the love may not have been picked up right away for it because yeah, that feeling is very different when you, when you experience something like what you would have experienced mm, for sure. Yeah totally through the 2015-16 season did you get in and around the ball club much during those postseason runs uh, I did um, I worked a lot during the run so I was doing an evening show a radio show at Kiss 92.5 so I still have a couple of shows on there but uh, pretty much any time the guys played at home, there were these afternoon, late afternoon games here, like our local time. It was like a 4.30 start. And my show started at six. So I was like, come on, man, what are we doing here? So I would go to a bar and meet up with my friends and start the game with them. And then I would take off an hour and a bit into it and go do my show. Um, so a lot of times I was in a studio by myself. had a couple of big screens in the studio, thankfully. And I'd have the game on there a while. I was still doing, you know, a top 40 <laughs> like radio show. Um, so, I mean, obviously most iconic is the bat flip. Um, and I pretty much called that on radio before it happened. I was like, you know what we need right now? Because this is what we need. Joey Bats needs to go up there and he's got to really just, he's got to give us something right now. And two songs later, I come on screaming, saying that it happened. Uh, I was losing my mind in the studio. So that was one that was great. Um, but I was also around the guys a lot, too. There was a, there's a bar out here that they all used to like to go to. And uh, my friends ran it. So I would, I would see a lot of the players after a game, um, off nights, whatever. And we would have great conversations about was going on so like jose was you know a guy that i would see quite often and, and we would have some good chats about the games and just life and and just yeah it was it was good to be around some of those guys yeah i mean it was an amazing spectacle that whole um series and, and obviously mm-hmm. game five stands out and particularly because of the controversy of all that happened in the seventh inning and all that was going on in the ballpark and you know the the, the, the crowd not understanding what the decisions were and you know the, the can throwing and and then also so much the, I just yeah. it was, uh, you know, and because like your basketball experience for us, it was two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, yeah. or whatever it was here, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's just just an extraordinary moment. And I, I don't I don't remember many moments in sport where I have felt the disappointment of what had preceded, with the thought of we cannot lose to this mm-hmm. moment. Uh, I, I know there was still sort of three innings to go, but it just felt like the world was falling apart. Everything was caving in, particularly with the loss of the two home games and then pulling the two games back in Texas and then coming back. And then for that to happen, I, it was the sickness I felt of that moment. And then the elation of when Jose did his thing. Um, 
How how quickly were you aware of the bat flip? Immediately. Okay. Immediately. Most, peop- most people I've spoken yeah. to, particularly who who were in the ballpark at the time, yeah. everybody's watching the ball, aren't they? They're not seeing what. Yeah. Yeah, see, I saw it as soon as because I'm watching on a broadcast, right? I'm not watching in the ballpark. And as soon as he makes that swing and he, and I'm like, he just tossed his bat. Yeah. And there was two other uh, two other gentlemen in the studio with me. They're like, "What?" I'm like, "No, no, no. He just he just threw that thing. Look at this." So then we like we we're after we're done freaking out. I'm like, "Rewind, rewind, rewind." And so I just kept on playing it back for them. And they're like, "Oh my gosh, that's." I'm like, "That's a little bit disrespectful, I think, but I love it. I don't care." <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. So and that became the whole thing, the bat flip and everything. But um, yeah, I immediately saw it. I was like, nice. "Oh wow, okay, that's different." Like you know, we haven't really seen that. Yeah. Um, that kind of emotion, but you're like, I like, I love seeing players have emotion. Like baseball needed to change, and that was kind of the turning point. Mm, yeah, totally. And and bat flips are, I wouldn't say they're acceptable now, but they mm. are much more regularly seen. Uh, even yeah. if they're not, maybe not quite so flamboyant as that particular moment, but um, there aren't many moments in the sport that perhaps we will ever replicate what happened in that seventh inning. So mm-hmm. you will, we'll let Jose off it, but uh, yeah, it was, it was an extraordinary <laughs> thing. So coming out of 2015, 16 sort of heading, we went into a couple of quiet years, obviously as the Jays are rebuilding, obviously a lot of the contracts disappeared, you know, big names coming probably into the pandemic year, I think is really where we started to see the core of what we've now got in the team. How excited are you about what is now happening with the Jays in terms of particularly sort of leading through those two two seasons where we, you know, some postseason experience in 2020, the, obviously the disappointment of last year and not getting through. What was what was your emotions in, in those two seasons particularly? I just felt bad for the guys because they you know, first world problems, but as a team and, and, and baseball players who, you know, athletes need some sort of consistency uh, with their schedule, even though in, in baseball, when you're traveling quite a bit, but there was no home and every away game or sorry, every home game was still an away game. You know, you had more than half the crowd cheering against you when you were technically at home. Um, so it wasn't comfortable. It wasn't, I don't want to say fair, because I guess it's not, because you're not having a level playing field as everybody else across the league. Um, But I felt bad for the guys because they had the talent, and they, I mean, the talent is unreal on this squad. But um, yeah, that's kind of what it was. I wasn't overly disappointed because I'd been around them a little bit, you know, uh, in the 2019 season there, we you know, I had a chance to do, I did this Devo in the dugout thing. So I had a chance to sit with Vlad, with, uh, with Bo, with Kevin, with uh, Teo, uh, with Lourdes and have conversations with these guys. And, you know, we're going three years ago and the confidence was there and the confidence was there. And you're like, okay, these guys are ready to take it to the next level. They love being around each other. You know, I remember Lourdes was one of the first guys I did this Devo in the dugout thing with. And, you know, we sit with like five, 10 minutes with the guys and I ask them a few things about baseball, but then I just ask them about life. Like, it's just more just a conversation, learning about them, you know, 
childhood, whatever, played video games, like all kinds of random questions. And I remember when I went back, I think it was three weeks later to interview, might've been Teo. And I'm standing there and all of a sudden I get whacked with a glove and I'm like, what the? <laughs> and I look and it's Lourdes running by and goes, amigo, and does one of those to me and just keeps going. And I'm like, okay, like these guys are just kids having fun. And, yeah. and they love being out here. They love this ballpark. They love the people around it. And so, you know, again, I felt bad for them the last couple of seasons, but right now, like chatting with them coming into this season, whew, man, they look good. Mm. And and the and the anticipation in the city is that definitely being felt in terms of where this this team are at. Do you, do you get that sort of yeah. vibe around around the place? Oh yeah, for sure. I went to home opener, and you know it's so funny because home opener, you know, you're down six nothing, and people are like, "Oh my god!" And I'm sitting there with some people, and I go, "Whatever, nine six final, it's fine." And they're like, "Really? You think that'll happen?" And I'm like. I got hope. I go, offense isn't a problem for this team. You know, pitching is still questionable at times and and that's going to be what they continue to work on this season. Um, but I'm like, nah, you know, and it turns out like a big win that night and everybody's mood changed. And right then after getting that first one, because they're not notoriously known to, to do well on home opener night, right? It's usually right. a loss. So to get that, that just changed everything. And that weekend, um, you know, people are excited and they are excited. You know, um, recently you get Bo Bichette hitting his first career uh, in the majors. Yeah. Yeah. Grand slam, you know, and this is after giving up, you had a two nothing lead. You give up two runs and then what happens? He comes out there and is, okay, let's go. Boom. Grand slam. And so, you you know, that's where I just love this team because they're never out of a game. Yeah. How much is the home run jacket made to, I mean, the camaraderie is there already. You can see that, but how much does bringing something like that into the mix make for it, for a, a ball club? Do you think? I love it. I think it is really such a cool feature. So I was fortunate enough to sit. I don't know whose seats they are. I don't know if they're Shapiro seats or something, but you know, when you, you watch them go back to the dugout and so behind home plate, the dugout and there's like the seats right there. So the two seats right next to the dugout where the ball boy is sitting and leaning against, uh, or, or the, the bat boy, excuse me, is leaning against my dad and I sat there, uh, last year and that was the coolest thing. And when the home runs happen and you see them all run out and I'm right, like right there watching it, jackets on, they're hitting each other. And, and it's just, they're ready for it. Like you see Vlad goes and runs and gets the jacket first from everybody. Like he's the leader of, they always say of like the, you know, the fun club. And he's, he's out there by example, wanting to support his teammates. And it's just, and it's spread throughout the entire team from, you know, not just the players, but the staff, the behind the scenes staff that you don't even see, uh, which is amazing. So something like that is, is a huge, it's so, it seems so small and little, but it's such a huge part of it because Oh, which guy on that team doesn't want to have that jacket on? Of course Absolutely. you want to throw it on one time, yeah. right? So it's, it's a little yeah. bit of a motivator, I think, too. Yeah, I, I loved it the other night when Zach Collins got his first homer. And uh, I think it was George Springer who was like, no, you've got to go and have your photo taken with it. You know, come yeah. on, you, you go the full the full whack. This is what we do with this thing. Yeah. It's just like, well, I don't know what. I'm not. And I just love that, that whole sense of, and it, I think the team isn't where it 
wants to be yet. I think we're still working towards it. And the lineup isn't quite what we expected either. But mm-hmm. I think these players who are coming in, like the Zach Collins of this world, have just risen to the to the game. I mean, it's so so exciting. And and what what about Charlie? I mean, I, I mean, I think I've noticed, and I'm sure a lot of people noticed. Obviously, he had his his moment with Jeff Nielsen the other day when the 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 calls were so poor, uh, and he got tossed from the game for the first time. Mm-hmm. I, he looks different. I don't know. I, I, would you see that in him? Because I think he's been, you know, compared to perhaps previous managers, he's much quieter in his demeanor yeah. generally. Well, he it- he kind of coming up, you know, he wasn't quieter. He had a bit of a temper on him. And yeah. uh, and it's calmed right down. But I think it's because of the players he has. Um, and I think he's done his own work or whatever. You know, he's sitting there playing the bongos and stuff in, in, <laughs> in the office and chilling. Um, that same game that I mentioned to you that I saw with my dad and we're right beside the dugout. Uh, one of the staffers brought Charlie over to say, what's up? And he's like, this Devo for me. He's like, yeah, yeah. We've talked before. I'm like, good for you, man. And so we, we do a little hug and I say to him very quietly and I go, so, uh, all those people that were doubting you over the last couple of months, I go, should we tell them off or what? Right. <laughs> And he bursts out laughing. He's like, no, 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 it's okay, man. It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And I'm like, well, I ain't doubting you, man. You're doing a great job. And he's like, thanks, brother. Like, blah, blah. Because people were saying fire him last year, right? Yeah. And they go on a huge run and they're playing well. And all of a sudden everyone's quiet. You know, you want to, you don't want to give him, you give him zero credit for any of it. But um, I think he, he understands his team. I think the team respects him and I think he he's going to kind of pick his battles of where he needs to really stand up for him. And I think doing something like that, the other game, you know, when those pitchers are way off um, and standing up for the guys is, is because you have to find, have a fine line. Cause you sit there and complain about everything. You're going to get zero respect from the umpires. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, we see that sometimes uh, on the Raptors side of things, when you see Nick nurse and, and I love coach nurse, man, but sometimes if he's complaining, then the refs don't even want to listen to him anymore. Um, Cause they're like, Oh, we already heard you're, you. You keep complaining. But with Charlie, I think he does it the right amount where the players still respect and know that he has their back. Um, and he doesn't have to go off too much because the umps know if he's going to speak up, he has a reason for speaking up this time too. Yeah. But yeah. I like, I like his energy. I like what he brings in, in into uh, the clubhouse. And yeah, mm. I think, he, I think he's a good guy. Yeah, totally. And I think he's, as you say, he, particularly in his first year, he had a really rough run and uh, everybody was on on his back. And and now mm-hmm. to see, to see this whole, and I think, you know, in terms of Mark Shaparo and, and Ross Atkins and what they're doing in pulling this, all the strings together for this moment. Do you feel it's this year? Is Are you brave enough to nail your colours to the mast and say, this is the one? Yeah, I mean... I'm always caution, cautiously optimistic. I like to say about, um, when I, when I cheer for my teams, you know, I have the confidence, I definitely have the confidence, but I don't like to have the arrogance. So am I confident that these guys could go and and, and, yeah, bring it home this year? 100% I am. Um, but there's how many other teams in the league that are trying to do the same dang thing. Right. So, uh, you got to keep that in mind, but I think this is, this team is built to win, uh, and to win right now. And I think, um, this is the best chance, you know, they've had in the last four, four years, I guess, five years now. 
Um, so or even longer, six, seven years, because I mean that even that the end of that little run with those guys with, with Donaldson and Jose and, and all of them towards the end of that, they weren't the strongest. Um, so yeah, you look at the last six years, this is the team, this is the one. And, and so I, yeah, I'm very hopeful that this year, you know, we have a nice playoff run. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it on. And I think, I think it's a window as well. It's not just this year. I think particularly mm-hmm. the 20, when we got to 2016, it was like, if it's not now, it won't be with this, this squad. Yeah. And all roster. Uh, and I think with the, these group of players, we've got enough core that's going to run for two or three years at least in terms of, of, of opportunity. So I'm really excited. Just, just give me your thoughts in terms of what the Raptors are doing, what the Maple Leafs are doing, and how the sports franchises across Toronto, how they can feed off each other in terms of success and stuff. Obviously, with what the Raptors did a couple of years ago, Amazing scenes to see uh, Nathan Phillips Square just full of of fans. I mean, it just looked extraordinary. I don't know how many they estimated right at the celebration. Uh, two million or something like that. It was a, yeah. what a mess that day was, man. I was all over the place <laughs> in, in the city that day. You know, yeah. I was covering things here, covering things there, and then I finally was off, and I was meeting up with people. It was what a what a day. Um, it motivates the other teams. So I think you know. Uh, I, Vlad would say this, you know, you talk to Vlad or Bo and they talk about watching the Raptors win that championship, seeing that parade happening in the city, you know, while they're playing their season is something that motivates them. And they say they want that love, you know, and they know they're getting the love, but to have that fan base really get that from them is a different level. You know, you ask Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, Tavares, all these guys on the Leafs, look, they they haven't been able to get out of the first round <laughs> in my lifetime, basically. Um, so, you know, it's something that motivates them. They see it. You, you know, best believe that they're watching and seeing what's going on. Even this little run right now, with the Raps being down 3-0, they're up to 3-2 with a chance, with a really good chance to create history here because um, Philly looks – they looked defeated after last night's game and especially Joel Embiid looked definitely dejected. So you have the Raptors on, on the verge of creating history once again, and Leafs about to start their playoff run. You know that they're thinking, okay, we got to really do something and do something. And, and they're another roster where it's like, how many more years do we have with this group? Uh, if we can't do something this year or next year. So that's something that they think about. So, yeah, but within the city, man, you get the fans and the fans are just like another night, something to cheer about. Like, this is amazing. And, and you know, I said the other day was, yeah, this is what sports fans in other cities have been dealing with their whole lives. We're just getting a taste of it now. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I I think it was was about two or three weekends ago when I think all three teams were happening over that, that one weekend, which is just great to see. And I think it was the first time since the pandemic in terms of full houses and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it just looks yeah. like a lot of, a lot of joy happening around, around Toronto at the moment, which is fantastic to see. Yeah. Diva, I really appreciate how generous you've been with your time today. Thank you. Oh, thank thank you. you so much. I want to just ask you 10 quick questions, which I do with a lot yeah. of our guests. So Let's these are just little, little quick fireys just lighthearted stuff, nothing too serious, just to, mm-hmm. to close off. Okay, so obviously thinking about the Jays particularly, but 
who are you most excited? Which player are you most excited to see or for in this coming season? Who's the one that you're sort of keeping your eye on? I think this could be a big year for them. I have so many answers for this. Um, I want to see if Vlad can exceed what he's been doing because um, I think he can. Bo, I think, is explosive and sometimes underrated. And I think this is the summer of Pina power. I think uh, Lourdes Gurriel has a breakout season like Teo did last season. So uh, three-prong answer there for you. That's all right. We like that. Plenty, plenty of players to choose from. <laughs> Your favorite Jays player of all time? Oh, man. Wow. I mean, just because my name is Devo, I should say Devon White. But, uh, I mean, I think this young generation, I mean, Jose, uh, we had a good relationship. This young generation, man, I'm already going to say Vlad because I think he just, I think Vlad right now, because I think he just brings this leadership and this energy that we hadn't really seen before from a star player, someone that's still having so much fun, that is loose, that encourages their teammates to be great um, while being a star. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. The one non-Jays player you would have loved to have seen on the roster? Oh. <sighs> almost, I almost hate myself for saying this, but like <laughs> Derek Jeter. Oh, right. Okay, we'll edit that bit out. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I hate myself for it. No, I can I can uh, see why. Yeah. Ay. Yeah, he was phenomenal, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. To be fair. Okay, we go with Jeter. Okay, your favorite ballpark away from Skydome? Man, I've never... I'm sad to say I've never experienced... Actually, I've only experienced one, and it was the old one where the Atlanta Braves played. Uh, was it Fulton County? Is that what it's called? I think that's what it's called. And I went there with my uncle. So that's, I mean, I have special memory of being there with him. Um, but that's the only other ballpark I've been in where the Braves played. And this is back in the early 90s. So that's the only one. And then um, Dunedin, but before they built this brand new complex there in, in the old Dunedin, uh, the old stadium is where the only other one I've seen. I see the Jays play a couple of uh, spring training games there. So I have not experienced enough ballparks. Wow. I know. Well, I need to tour around a little I, bit. I, absolutely, I've been to more than you. That's that's. Yeah. Uh, where? What, yeah. What's your favorite? Um, I, I I really enjoyed Fenway. To be fair. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think just the history, um, yeah. and the nostalgia. Uh, we did go to the Cubs. Um, didn't like Wrigley quite as much as Fenway. Um, but uh, yeah, been there. Um, been to Progressive Field, Tiger Stadium. So yeah, a few sort of in the northeast corner of of the states yeah i need uh, to get out dang we do what what's the yeah. uh what's the ballpark in downtown halifax called is oh, there man. one no i don't think so unless they built oh, one okay. after i left <laughs> <laughs> okay what's your favorite baseball food when you go to a game what's your oh. go-to snack they started adding all this fancy different stuff at the dome now 
Um, now it's like the waffle fry poutine is what you could get. I mean, a hot dog is always dope, but I mean, honestly, I'm a, I'm a popcorn, uh, just a straight up popcorn and water. If I feel like beveraging, then sure. A beer and popcorn is kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Okay. Very Basic. Good. We- I'm very easy to please. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Nice and cheap. That's, that's what we like. <laughs> very good. Yeah. So, so like when I, we took our kids, um, we got four kids and, um, yeah, when we first took the right guys, we're going to have to put a budget on the food, right? Because it's it's expensive in here. But um, oh yeah, very good. Uh, so yes, day day game or night game? Hmm. Day game. Okay. Day with the with the with the roof open. Give me some sunshine. Give me a couple of drinks and popcorn. Yeah. And uh, and I'm good. That's a, that's good. a perfect afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, we love a day game here. We definitely do. Mm-hmm. Okay, your favorite Jays jersey color. Oh, new blue is nice, man. That powder blue. Yeah, I go with that powder blue, like that light blue, the, the newer ones that they got. Yeah. Very good. And the number that you'd have on the back, what would you go mm. for? I mean, I might just do 47 is like my number if I play sports. Okay. But uh, but sometimes I throw a six on there to do the Toronto for the six. So yeah. some of the jerseys have that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 416. Yeah. Very good. And roof open, roof closed. Yeah. Open. Always open. Always open. Always open. Because at those night games, it's beautiful when you can see the CN Tower and everything. And then yeah. you see the open sky is beautiful. And the day games, same thing. You get that sunshine. You can see a little bit of the cityscape. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. But we're very grateful for the roof on. Uh, particularly cold winter days in in toronto so at least you could always get a game which is uh, nice to nice to have for sure devo thank you so much man uh love chatting with you thank you so much for giving us a bit of time hopefully you've enjoyed it and uh look forward to getting some good reaction from the uk guys as they they're listening to you what, what what's next on your agenda have you got anything coming up that uh, you're looking forward to in your in your world Whew, I don't even know. It's always different. There's always lots of things going on. Um, yeah, I, I cover so many different things. I just got back from doing the Grammy Awards. So that was really cool. Uh, we might be doing some more traveling again to cover some more uh, films and things like that. So yeah. hopefully I can get out to the UK soon. I got yes. my uh, my folks are actually heading out there in two weeks. And oh, so, wow. uh, where, yeah, where are they so heading I, to? Uh, they will be in Scotland and in England. I got family on both sides. Uh, okay. So they're going to kind of be going all over to say what's up to everybody. Yeah, very nice. If they ever come south, we're in Bournemouth, uh, so okay. right, da- right down on the south coast. So uh, they want some nice sunny, sunny weather and sandy beaches and all that sort of stuff. I, come I and know find you're us. known. You're known for those beaches over there. I need to head there. Honestly, if I look, if I can get across, man, I'm coming to say what's up for sure. Yeah, definitely do that. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for spending some time. Thank you, guys. Uh, what a great session with uh, Devo. So pleased to have him with us. We'll look forward to catching you on our next episode. See you soon. Take care. Bye. Thanks, Steve. The Red, White and Blue Jays podcast is a production of Blue Jays Fans UK. If you've got a Blue Jays story to share, let us know. Email us at bluejaysfansuk at gmail.com. And follow along on Twitter and Instagram at bluejaysfansuk. I'm your announcer, Jim Langton. Thanks for listening.